Broadway Sitting in a doorway Head held in his hands Looked up all the world Like he was praying Foot wrapped in an old rag Bottle in a brown bag I saw him try to stand Then I heard the words That he was saying And he said, come on, carry Carry me If she was only there to point the right direction But she ain't no, she ain't no He said, come on, Carrie, Carrie
Hello. My name is Lucas Eaton, my pronouns are he, him, and it is my honor to welcome you to worship at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors. It is upon their land that we here in Columbia reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty, minister, as well as a talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional staff. Most, much appreciation goes out to the many lay leaders and volunteers whose incredible efforts and dedication help keep us connected. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whoever you love, and whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests joining worship this morning. We encourage you to fill out the visitors form in the lobby or online and connect with others in the virtual or in-person social hour after the service so we may meet and welcome you. Finally, for those attending worship in our sanctuary at the Owen Brown Interface Center this morning, please take a moment to silence your cell phones and other electronic devices. Now for the announcements. One World Coffee House welcomes back singer, songwriter, and social, and social justice activist John Flynn, winner of the 2018 Phil Ox Award on Saturday, September 17th at 7 p.m. right here in the sanctuary. Uh, Deanna McLeod from the Woody Guthrie Center says, his work follows in the footsteps of Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger, Chris Christofferson, and other social justice troubadours as he speaks the truth and gives a voice to society disenfranchised. Purchase your tickets today at uucolumbia.net. Next Sunday is in gathering. During the service, we will celebrate the beauty and diversity of our spiritual community through our traditional water ceremony. We invite you all to bring a little water from a sacred source for the ceremony and to join us after service for a potluck luncheon. We currently need more folks to sign up to bring dishes. Please do so in Sanctuary B after service today or at uucolumbia.net. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you all next Sunday. And now an announcement from UUCC member Gail Thompson-Guy. Good morning. My name is Gail Thompson, and I want to hear from you. How many of you grew up in the UU Religious Education Program? Two of my children did and still live their lives with those values. How many of you have taught an RE class or classes? Oh, many more. Great. Me too. Charlie Henderson and I taught the first About Your Sexuality class in 1976. Now, <laughs> now called, of course, our whole lives, or OWL. Have you taught that? Okay, good. How many of you have taken RE classes as adults? Uh, we've got some good RE junkies here. <laughs> Me too. The most recent was the field test version of OWL for Seniors, which was the most fun of any class ever. Now I'm 83. I'm volunteering to help out with classes through the summer and plan to continue when available through the church here. Have you signed up for that? Please consider it. The RE program is half of the pulpit, 
religious education core that makes us a church. Good morning. My name is Paige Getty. I use the pronouns she, her, and hers, and I have the great honor of being minister of this congregation, but being a congregant today while the youth lead us in worship. So thank you, all of you, for that. But I'm here to remind you that in two weeks on Saturday, September 17th, right here in this room, we are going to be holding a caregiving workshop. Reverend Lynn Cox will be here to facilitate a discussion among all of us about what it means to be a caring congregation, to care for one another in times of grief, loss, sorrow, crisis, even in celebration. And then they will help us practice the skills that we need, skills of welcoming, skills of listening, and more, to be even better at the caregiving that we share with and for one another in the congregation. Everyone who is a teenager or an adult in UUCC is welcome to participate in this workshop. We do ask you to register so we'll have an accurate count for lunch and for seating. And that registration link is on the UUCC website calendar, and I'll be around after service, or you can reach me by phone or email if you have any questions. But I hope you'll all plan to participate on the 17th. Thanks. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Valerie Shu, and my pronouns are she and her. And I know it feels like we've been doing announcements a long time now, but a um, couple housekeeping things. If you're a first time visitor, again, there's a form outside for you to fill out. We just wanna say hello, get to know you, and um, get your information so we can stay in touch. And if you would like to follow along with today's service that's been, that is being led by the youth of this congregation, you can find an order of service on the UUCC website, if you are in the sanctuary, you'll see those QR codes floating around. You can just scan that and get to the order of service. And lastly, we will be honoring joys and sorrows this morning. Um, so as a community, we like to celebrate with you when you have a joy, and we want to support you when something else is going on. So you can email your joy or sorrow to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net, and we will read them aloud together later in the service. So last month, 10 youth from UUCC, ages 15 through 19, traveled together, accompanied by KP McLaughlin, Jen Hayashi, and myself, to McDowell County, West Virginia. According to the 2020 census, McDowell County is the fourth poorest county in the United States, holds the record for most precipitous population decline in the past 60 years, and had the lowest per capita voter turnout in the contiguous United States during the 2016 and 2020 presidential elections. McDowell County was once a thriving center of coal production. We went to McDowell County together to spend time with an organization called Big Creek People in Action, or BCPIA, as you might hear it referred to today. Big Creek People in Action is located in the town of War, West Virginia, population 652. BCPIA is truly an anchor in its McDowell County community. They work with community members to provide a food pantry, clothes pantry, household supplies, internet access point, adult literacy programs, vocational tutoring program, children's after school programming, housing rehab, and so, so much more. Their name, I think, describes them perfectly. They are people in action in their own community. And it was a privilege to watch the dedicated staff and community members live their values, take care of each other, 
and also welcome us into the community they call home. So this morning, you'll hear reflections from several of our youth. They'll share their observations from their time in West Virginia, as well as things they learned through the trip about themselves, about each other, about McDowell County people and life. They'll also share a slideshow of images from the trip. And this service is in part a thank you to all of you in the congregation who supported the teens as they prepared for this trip. All the baked goods you purchased on Sunday mornings, the cars you let us wash for you, the donations you made, the prayers and thoughts that you sent our way, you made this trip possible. Thank you for your support. And now Hallie will ring the bell to call us into worship. everyone. Um, my name is Elena von Schlag and my pronouns are she, her. This is a poem titled Junko by Mark Harshman, the poet uh, Lorita of West Virginia. A gray bird in a red bush, an empty stream of stones and brittle leaves, a chattering song sung then followed by a silence that lifts up the sky, lifts the sky with an echoing that fills the world as if the world were no bigger than this room and this room, porous with mystery, and now shot with light, becomes the place within which I might walk forever out of time along a dry stream bed behind the chittering of a bird. This bird who, no bigger than the palm of my hand, seems to know the way better than I. And so now I invite you to please stand as you are able and willing in body and spirit to sing together hymn number 359 when we are gathered. So Tom's going to lead us in two of these verses, and then afterward, please remain standing so we can read together our congregational covenant. When we are gathered for a time of worship and of song, let none be feared the joys and griefs that mark each path of life, and thus we reach for those who love. We reach for those who love. For you shall pass, and time is wise, and countless leaves and turn. So day by day our years increase, until at last by life released a spirit shine like stars our spirit shine like stars let us now speak together the words of our congregational covenant that will, will appear on the screen as we remind ourselves of the promises to one another and why we gather. 
Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys, and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. It is now the part of the service when you get to greet your neighbors. Keep in mind that not everybody wants to be greeted, touched, or hugged, so let us practice and foster a culture of consent as we greet one another. And please wave at the camera in the back of the sanctuary to say hello to everyone on Zoom. My name is Kylie Shelor, and my pronouns are he, him, and she, her. My name is Tegan Verone McLaughlin, and my pronouns are she, her. My name is Leah Rickafort, and my pronouns are she, her. And I would like to invite any children or anyone with a childlike soul to sit in front, in front of here with us today. <laughs> today we will be talking about how kindness can help others. While we read our book, we'll come around and hand out hearts to show the effects of kindness, kindness towards others. We ask all of you who are up front to cup your hands in front of you uh, to put our hearts in. Please be careful with them, though, because we have a challenge for you at the end of the book that you'll need them for. Now, adults, we sadly don't have enough time or hearts for everyone, so we ask if you hear us read something that maybe would make you smile, brighten your day, or make you even a little bit happier than before, then go ahead and raise your hand and keep them raised until the end of the book. The day you were born was a very happy day. It was your birthday, a day you celebrate every year. You are a new person and a special gift. You received a gift, too, your very own name. A name as special as you. What is your name? Everyone was so happy to see you, but there was one part of you that they could not see. It was your bucket, your invisible bucket. Everyone is born with an invisible bucket. No one can see your bucket, but it is always with you. Your bucket is a very important part of you. It is an important part of everyone. Your bucket holds all the love and happiness you receive each day. 
When your bucket is full, you feel happy. When your bucket is empty, you feel sad. It is good to have a full bucket. Every day, your family and lots of other people help fill your bucket. When your daddy kisses you and tickles you, he fills your bucket. Your giggles fill his bucket too. When your mommy smiles and tells you she loves you, she is filling your bucket. Your smiles fill her bucket too. When your sister or your brother snuggles and reads to you, your bucket fills up even more. When your, when your grandpa or grandma plays with you, everyone's bucket is filled. Look, your bucket is so full. It is full of happy thoughts and lots of love. So many people have filled your bucket. You can fill their buckets too. Bucket filling is like magic. When you fill a bucket by being kind and loving, you, your bucket fills up too. You can do so many things to fill buckets. When you listen and help, you are filling a bucket. Your bucket fills up more. When you say please and thank you, your magic words fill buckets. When you play and share your toys, everyone is happy. Everyone's invisible bucket is filled. When you take care of your pet, you, you are filling a bucket. Your bucket fill, fills up too. When you smile and wave to those, you are being a bucket filler. When you give hugs and kisses, your love fills buckets. It's good to go to sleep with a bucket full of happiness and love. Look, look at all the happy faces. Everyone's bucket is full. Now it's your turn. We'd like to ask everybody in the sanctuary, what can you do to fill a bucket today? Now we have a challenge for you. At least once today, do something to fill someone else's bucket. Then give them your hearts. You can use any of the great, example, any, the great examples we heard today, and maybe you'll inspire that person to fill someone else's bucket too. Now please join us in singing Go Now in Peace with Tom as the children head back to their seats. Children of all ages are invited to stay in the service to hear from us today. Thank you. Go now in peace, go now in peace. May the love of God surround everywhere, everywhere you may go. Hello again. Um, my name is Elena von Schlag. And my name is Jonathan Gano Constant, he, him pronouns. And we'd like to tell you a bit about the projects we worked on with Big Creek People in Action. So the first project that my group worked on um, was to remove and replace a rotten floor. Um, so the first thing we had to do was take everything out of the room so we could remove the floorboards and tear out the fully rotten wood underneath. I mean, fully rotten. <laughs> Um, after the demolition was complete, we installed new support beams where necessary and reinforced the old yet still stable ones. After this, we cut and placed down pieces of plywood, securing it to the beams below. We then added a layer of padding and reinstalled the floorboards. And finally, we moved the furniture back into its proper place atop the new floor. Truis, the man whose house we were working on, was incredibly sweet and happy to help wherever he could. This response matched that of all the people we worked with there. Um, while one group worked on the floors, another worked on insulating a hallway. 
uh, specifically the wonderful Miss Bonnie's hallway. She's a sweetheart. Um, our goal for this was to reduce energy costs. Last winter, it cost Miss Bonnie over $350 in one month to heat her house. To get a perspective of this, um, she lives on a fixed income of around $800 a month. It's imperative that she have a better insulated house so that she's not spending half of her monthly income on heating. Uh, the steps we took to do this were as follows. Deconstruct the ceiling, tear out the old water damaged insulation. Um, and when I say damaged, I mean it was to the point that it looked like mouse poop. Uh, next, the ceiling support structure was rebuilt and new insulation was put in. This was topped off with some good old drywall and voila, a newly insulated hallway. Uh, this project took the team that was working on it all week, and all week the team enjoyed the company of Miss Bonnie and her many cats, dogs, and chickens. <laughs> After we left, a group from River Road Unitarian University Church in Bethesda added the final touch by helping to paint the drywall that we prepared for them. And after the group that finished Mr. Truis's floor, some of us drove to another person's house to help them. Miss Janey had experienced heavy rain and flooding the week before we got there, and her house was ruined by mud damage. It was going to be torn down, and our job was to help her salvage as much stuff as she could keep. We spent hours in a crawl space with a couple inches of mud on the floor, pulling out generations worth of storage and business supplies. By the time we were done, the level of water had doubled because of how much was stored in the objects we were moving. She was very kind and helped out where she could, and I specifically remember that when we were done, she let us take some pears from her pear tree, which was miraculously intact. Once we had done as much as we could on the floor, hallway, and crawl space, we all went to the big Greek People in Action store, which was a giant building filled with clothes and supplies that the people of war could take. We all spent several hours helping to tidy, organize, stock, and clean the donated items. We were impressed by the generosity of community members to share what they have with each other. Now, Liam has prepared a slideshow of photos from our trip set to the song Where the Corn Don't Grow by Travis Tritt. This song was introduced to us by Chester, a bluegrass musician we met in West Virginia. As we sat on the front porch of that old gray house where I was born and raised Staring at the dusty fields where my daddy worked hard every day I think it kind of hurt him when I said, Daddy, there's a lot that I don't know But don't you ever dream about a life where corn don't grow He just sat there sighing, staring at his favorite coffee cup I saw a storm of mixed emotion in his eyes when he looked up He said, son, I know at your age it Seems like this old world is turning slow And you think you'll find the answer to it all Where corn don't grow Hard times are real 
There's dusty fields no matter where you go. But you may change your mind, cause the weeds are high where corn don't grow. Daddy turned and walked back in the house I was only 17 back then But I thought that I knew more than I know now Rose Spezio, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is still Tegan Verona Bachlin. <laughs> and today we will be sharing our triumphs and challenges we faced living together for a week. As you can imagine, it was a big change from, going, from seeing each other for a measly two hours once a week, then living in very close quarters 24 hours a day for seven days. Yet somehow we managed to come out of it all not wanting to kill each other, but actually agreeing to do it again next year. Over the course of the week's schedule, the ske it looks something like this. Anywhere from 8 to 6 a.m., uh, everyone would wake up and make their way out of a single shared bedroom, some more begrudgingly than others. 8.30 was our final check for any stragglers still asleep. This, by this time, any, everyone had wandered down the three flights of stairs into the very cold kitchen to get some breakfast and get ready for the day. At 9 a.m. came around, everyone was out the door and on their way for the projects for the next couple of hours. Once evening rolled around about 4 p.m., the different groups would make their way back to our makeshift home to a much needed shower and settle down. 
Dinner would be ready at about 6 p.m. each night, and when it was, our little makeshift family would all sit down together and eat a meal two of us had prepared. After we were done sharing about our day, we would disperse into various activities to keep our spirit, bodies and spirits alive. Anywhere from 10 to 12 p.m., we would all eventually settle back into our bunk beds, ready for the day to come. As you can imagine, this was not the typical schedule for any of us, but with the help of some boundaries and games, we all, we all were quickly got settled into it. After being stuck in a community center for a week with little Wi-Fi, we were, we were down the work for the day and had a lot of downtime with only each other as entertainment, leading for the various games we played, whether it be board games, hide and seek, or card games. There was a game of hide and seek almost every day, or some variant of it. I remember one time during Sardines, which for those of you who don't know, is basically hide and seek as a group. Me, Tegan, me and Tegan finding Rowley and Hallie hiding under a blanket on top of a storage cupboard. <laughs> and, then getting in, and then getting in said cupboard. After what felt like forever, the group finally found us, and it was a huge relief to be out of the cramped closet. <laughs> Rowley and Hallie continued to talk about how amazing their hiding spot was for the rest of the week. <laughs> Other than playing games, which is a bit... Another way we kept ourselves uh, kept our spirits up was something we like to call warm fuzzies, which basically were little handwritten compliments we gave to each other in personal envelopes. Some were long, some were sincere, and some were mine. Who wrote them on the last day when I realized I hadn't written anyone anything, and it turned out like you'd imagine. It went a little something like this: Roses are red, violets are blue. I don't know where I'm going with this, but here's a warm fuzzy just for you. <laughs> Smooth. But aside from all the fun time we had back at the house, even when working, we still managed to bond with each other through, through ways like helping each other with our jobs, playing music, talking, joking around, planning my empire of machine gun deers. No, I'm not taking questions. The overall environment made the work go by quickly, which led to the, which led to the other events of the day, mostly the previously mentioned game that served as more of enough of a reward to me. Even though we all love hanging out and having fun with each other, we knew we needed to have some boundaries and rules to make our time together as successful as it could be. Like true UUs, we started off our week by making a covenant with each other, with the expectation we would go over it every day to see if it needed to be amended. Some of the tenets of our covenant were to be a good guest, practice accountability and loving curiosity, and to own your self-care needs. Even though we had general rules, we knew they weren't going to be an exact solution in every scenario, but being able to set expectations for ourselves and each other gave us comfort that we were striving for the same things. Another way we set boundaries with each other was by literally setting up boundaries. One of the first things we did after unloading our cars was designating each room we had access to with its purpose. For example, we decided which bedroom we all wanted to share, what room to hang out in, and a quiet room for anyone who was feeling overwhelmed or just wanted some time away from the inevitable chaos that surrounds us. An important topic that came up throughout the week was responsibility for ourselves and our needs. We all had to quickly adjust to this new routine, and lots of our usual comforts like pets, customary food, or familiar spaces were not available. Not only this, but being around people all the time, even people you like, can be tiring in a way that's hard to understand until you're experiencing it. Recognizing and regulating our own individual needs was crucial to being in the right mental state to keep up with the day-to-day -day challenges. It wasn't always comfortable or easy, but we all agreed to work with each other through the discomfort, and we came out the other side a bit tired, but now with an experience that will be hard to forget. After this week in McDowell County, we take home with us the lessons we learned throughout our time together, such as what it means to do our part, how to work with this how to work with discomfort, not against it, and the strength of community and companionship. 
Although we are a bit of an unusual group, our week together created a somewhat strange, but overall closer family than we were before. At the end of every day, during dinner time, we all sat at the table and talked about three things we took away from our days. So in the spirit of our trip, I will close out this reflection in the likeness. During our week in war, I felt a renewed sense of community and shared vulnerability between us all. I learned so much about the culture, struggles, and people in war, I don't think I could encapsulate it all myself. And I was surprised by how well we all work together and live together, even though we all have vastly different skill sets and routines. Jonathan and Raleigh are now going to perform their rendition of Take Me Home Country Roads for us. This is a song that was stuck in our heads a lot during our week in West Virginia. Thank you. 
My name is oh shoot. Oh my mask broke. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. uh, my name is Lucas Eaton. And my name is Leah Rigafort. And we learned about human enacted cycles of destruction on the natural environment that affect the day-to-day -day lives of McDowell County residents. The reason this town exists and the reason this town has so many problems are one and the same: resource extraction. The economy and culture of the region was born out of and is still almost entirely based around coal mining and logging. However, nowadays either of these actually benefit many people in the region. What was once an area full of resources and life has been slowly drained to become a shell of what it used to be. The mechanization of labor and the decline of the American steel industry has taken and has continued to take jobs from the coal miners of the region, with, with the traditional methods of mining coal by hand underground no longer being used in favor of heavy machinery, requiring less people to do more work. These strip mining methods are safer, faster, and more effective, but cause more environmental damage and, are, and no longer employ the masses they used to. The original purpose of the region and the career that the culture of the region is built around is no longer a universally viable career path. These changes have severely damaged the local economy, forcing those who can afford to leave to do so, and leaving behind only those who are unable to. This creates a vicious cycle of poverty that is very difficult to deal with, especially for a community of this size going up against large powerful companies. The logging of the forests in the region is not done by local companies, but by larger companies that do not consider the people that live there. Because of this, the citizens are feeling the effects of resource extraction. The combination of logging and climate change are major contributors to the ever-worsening floods that plague the region. The coal that has been collected from the region is going to be burned, worsening climate change, which causes worse storms and worse floods. The logging kills trees, the roots of which would otherwise help hold the land in place and reduce the severity of floods. According to some people we talked with, the companies will often leave huge logs sitting on the slopes of mountains that are only visible in winter when the leaves of the trees are gone. During floods or heavy rains, these logs are pushed down the mountains and are capable of causing major damage to homes, cars, or other important belongings. Water on its own is an incredibly damaging force, and the logs simply make a bad situation worse but the mud that the water brings with it is also extremely destructive, getting into the cracks of appliances that could have otherwise survived the water and stayed long after the water has gone. While discussing this with the people we met at BCPIA, we heard a story about a woman's experience in the 2002 flood, which is one of the worst they've had. A log had punched a hole straight through her house, and the water that followed took many of her belongings with it, leaving only a skeleton of the house. One of the leaders of the organization told us that she had had a flood damage her house and wreck her car just a week or so before we arrived, and that she was just one of many. Without her car, she was unable to do many of the things she needed in order to support herself or her disabled son. Uh, one of the jobs uh, some of us did was helping search for salvageable belongings out of a muddy flooded basement. The damage was so bad that even after we were done, the house would have to be bulldozed. These are very real things that the people there have to go through. Compared to here, where many of us flood warnings mean little more than don't drive and maybe a water damaged basement when it comes to possible personal harm, it may be difficult for many of us to imagine such an ever-present, inevitable, and damaging threat. However, that is just the reality of living in McDowell County. Although we learned a lot over the course of the week, we also realized that there are a countless amount of people who still need help. We tried to learn as much as we could, but we could never truly know the day-to-day -day struggles that the citizens of McDowell County face. However, despite all the hardships they go through and possibly because of them, the strong sense of community throughout the region holds strong.
So each week when we gather here, we offer a myriad of gifts to each other, our presence, our kindness, a warm embrace, and our talents. We also offer financial gifts to support and sustain the work of this community, of this congregation in our community and in the lives of those who call UUCC home. In a moment, Tom's going to share his gift of music, and you are invited to make a financial gift by following the texting instructions on the screen or by placing cash or checks in the basket at the back of the sanctuary. And here at UUCC, our gifts are freely given and very gratefully received. Tom? Good morning. My name is Hallie Getty and my pronouns are she, they. My name is Raleigh Martin. My pronouns are he, him. After working in a group on different projects every day, we would come back to the BCPIA Center where we were staying to make dinner. Once eating dinner, we would do a reflection where we shared a bit about our day and what each of us were feeling, were surprised about, and had learned. Some of us shared that we were disappointed in the work that we had accomplished that day or that we wish we could have done better. Some of us, if not most, admitted to be perfectionist, and it showed with how we felt. Deep down, each of us knew that we had no idea what we were doing and that we weren't going to be able to accomplish perfect carpentry, but it's ultimately what we wanted. Seeing the imperfections in our work was disappointing. While working on the flooring project, we could see the imperfections in the levelness of the boards and maybe not so slight dip in the floor. And in the house we were drywalling and fixing the ceiling, we could see the lines between the drywall where we had tried to fix the gaps that we had made. Many of our thoughts and reflections during dinner were things like, if I had just measured one more time, it would have been perfect. If I had used a mallet instead of the hammer. If I'd asked someone else to help me. I wish it looked different. I wish I could start over. Since this was the first time for a lot of us doing construction and repair work, it was okay that these things were messed up, even if someone else more skilled was able to do them better. While not really knowing what we were doing besides using a drill to screw this into that, something we did know was what looked wrong. After seeing how things came together, we started noticing imperfections in work everywhere. In the center where we were staying, we noticed where we could see the tape from the drywall cracking and everywhere, everywhere where there were imperfections. 
We could tell where the baseboards and quarter rounds were missing. Walking into places with laminate flooring, we were able to notice where some pieces had been reinstalled one too many times. This was a learning experience for us in many ways, like learning how to use a circular saw and how to hang drywall, how to repair joists under a floor, but it was also a time where we all learned mentally. We learned to accept the imperfections in our work because it was not nearly the biggest of the problems, and as much as we didn't like seeing our imperfect work, it was truly helping someone continue to live, into this, live in the space that they had, as well as improve what was there. Along with all these things, we also learned that it's not the outcome of our work that matters most but the way you do your work and live your life. We learned that our work was not the most important part of our trip. While the work was helpful, it was the dedication and effort that put into it that really showed who we were. This trip was not purely to help other people or make perfect changes in their community, but just to learn. So now is the time of our service today where we will give voice to personal joys and sorrows within our community. So we drop individual stones into a communal bowl of water to represent the way that each life and each story ripples out and touches us all and is held in our collective embrace.
Um, and one final stone, Kylie, thank you for doing the stones today. One final stone for all that is unsaid that we are holding in our hearts. So now I invite you to join me in prayer, followed by a moment of silent reflection and meditation. Afterward, as the music plays, you are welcome to come forward and place your own stone in our communal bowl in honor of your own personal joys and sorrows. So this is a prayer from the collection Liturgies from Below. Our mother that inhabits the earth and waters the floors and colors the skies, blessed are the names with which we call you and blessed are the fruits you provide us. May justice come to your sons and daughters and may there be fullness together with a dignified and good life. May your riches be shared with equity so that there is no lack of bread, rice, yams, potatoes, milk, or wine on any table or on any street. Forgive us the abuse and the agrochemicals and the immoral failing, the waters that we poison, the contaminated air. Lead us not into the perverse temptation of greed and lust, of the pride of power, and the arrogance of wealth, because yours is the memory of the loving creator and the present of the struggle for abundance and the future of all hope. Amen and blessed be.
Our closing words today are from Appalachian Elegy by Bell Hooks. Three. Night moves through the thick dark, a heavy silence outside. Near the front window, a black bear stamps down plants, pushing back brush, fleeing man-made confinement, roaming unfettered, confident any place can become home, strutting down a steep hill, as though freedom is all in the now, no past, no present. Four. Earth works thick brown mud, clinging, pulling a body down, heard wounded earth cry, bequeathed to me, the hoe, the hope, ancestral rights, to turn the ground over, to shovel and sift until history rewritten, resurrected, returns to its rightful owners, a past to claim yet another stone lifted to throw against the enemy, making way for new endings, random seeds, spreading over the hillside, wild roses, come by fierce wind and hard rain, unleashed furies here in this touched wood, a dirge, a lamentation for earth to live again, earth that is all at once a grave, a resting place, a bed of new beginnings, avalanche of splendor. And now I invite you one last time to rise as you're willing and able to sing our closing hymn, Blue Boat Home, which is hymn number 1064. During the final verse of this hymn, we will extinguish the chalice and mark the end of the service. So please join us in Sanctuary B for coffee hour afterward.
Just before our love got lost, you said I am as constant as a northern star. And I said, constantly in the darkness, where's that at? If you want me, I'll be in the bar. On the back of a cartoon coaster, in the blue of a TV screen light. I drew a map of Canada, oh Canada. With your face sketched on it twice. So 
Thank you.